Scripture lesson for this morning comes to us from the book of Revelation, chapter 21, verses 1 through 7. Listen now for God's word to you. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, See, the home of God is among mortals. He will dwell with them, and they will be his peoples, and God himself will be with them. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. Mourning and crying and pain will be no more, for the first things have passed away. And the, and the one who was seated on the throne said, See, I am making all things new. Also he said, Write this, for these words are trustworthy and true. Then he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give water as a gift from the spring of the water of life. Those who conquer will inherit these things, and I will be their God, and they will be my children. This is the word of God for you, the people of God. Thanks be to God. So some of my all-time favorite movies are the Back to the Future trilogy, the three Back to the Future movies. Um, I remember when my uh, family got our first DVD player one Christmas, we also got along with it the box set of all three Back to the Future movies. Uh, those were the first movies we watched on that brand new five-disc changer DVD player. It was so high-tech, we didn't even quite know how to work it just yet, but it was exciting. Uh, my dad is, who was and still is, a huge fan of those movies. I have this great memory from when I was a kid. He and I were both homesick, and we watched all three of those movies, one after the other during the day while my siblings were at school and my mom was at work. It was a great memory for me. Um, now, if you've seen those movies, you probably have one of your favorites. Uh, and objectively speaking, the first movie is probably the best of the three. But I can't help but be intrigued and entertained by Back to the Future 2, when Doc Brown and Marty McFly take the flying DeLorean powered by plutonium and the Mr. Fusion and fly off into the distant future of 2015. <laughs> distant maybe for people in the 1980s, right? And I was alive in the 1980s, I'll remind you of that, for a couple years of it anyway. Um, but that movie is really interesting to me, that, that movement into this imagined future of 2015. And there are quite a few things that the creators of this movie get right about 2015. Uh, there is a lot of automation in this imagined future, uh, although not quite to the degree that we have it today. Uh, they also correctly predicted biometric scanning. So think of the ways that you unlock your phone with your face or your fingerprint or the ways you open up your tablet. Uh, they also predicted virtual reality and smart glasses. So think of Google Glasses and virtual reality video games. And they almost got it right that the Cubs would win the World Series in 2015. They were off by just a year. And believe me, when I was watching the Cubs in the playoffs in 2015, my spirits were rising as they made it right almost to the World Series that year. I was like, did Back to the Future predict it right? But of course, there are some things that they didn't get quite right. There are some things that they got wrong. Uh, noticeably absent in this Imagine 2015 is the internet, a big glaring omission. Neither are their smartphones. They did predict uh, video conferencing, although it looks more like a landline, like it happens in the living room on the TV that everyone shares together. Um, instead of sending text messages to each other, they had fax machines in every room. Uh, 
that was like the height of communication in this imagined 2015 from the 1980s. Uh, they also um, they also had this uh, these clothes that you could that would form to your body that you could program to fit your body just right. Like, wouldn't that be nice? And they also had those power lace Nike sneakers. They imagined those as well. I'm not gonna lie, I thought those were super cool. Um, even watching that in the mid 2000s, I thought those were cool. And uh, Nike came out with a prototype for those back in 2016, and you could buy them for the nice, affordable price of just $720. Um, if they were a little more affordable, I would have bought myself a pair, I promise you that. Um, and as exciting as it would have been to have mass-produced hoverboards and flying cars, of course, that doesn't exist yet here in the future. Uh, it's interesting, it's fun for me to see what people in previous times imagined the future would look like. And it's not just the creators of Back to the Future 2. People have been imagining the future probably since the beginning of human beings. It's fun to, to look back 100 years ago to see what people in the 1920s imagined 2023 would look like. Um, some of the predictions included people living in, every one of us living in high-rise buildings and we would get around by airship. I don't know what it is about every prediction of the future, but it always includes some sort of flying car. Uh, they also imagined that electricity would get rid of all manual labor, that we'd only work for four hours a day, and that electricity would make sure that our cities were entirely spotless, no garbage in the streets. Have you been to New York lately? Um, and of course, that is all possible because the air pollution gets so bad in this imagined future that, uh, that we live in dome cities to protect us from all of the air pollution around us. Uh, some others imagined that in 2023, teleportation would be possible, and sometimes I wish it was, especially on those long car rides when the kids have just had enough. And then my favorite prediction for the future comes from the 1960s, actually. Some were predicting a kelp-driven food economy that would allow for the creation of something called grouch pills. So it's a pill that you could give your spouse to control their mood. Grouch pills. And you two are looking at each other like you want to give each other grouch pills. Whenever we imagine the future, it seems to always carry a little bit of the present moment with us. That if you watch Back to the Future, it, it seems to look a lot like the 1980s. If you look at a prediction from the 1920s, even though it has some futuristic kind of ideas to it, it still looks like the 1920s. And this is because whenever we imagine the future, it always carries with it the hopes and the anxieties of the present moment. In John Green's novel, Looking for Alaska, one of his characters says that imagining the future is a kind of nostalgia. Imagining the future is a kind of nostalgia. And that is because we imagine the future from our memories. At the same place in our brains that imagines what's going to happen as we move forward in time is the same place that's responsible for storing memories. And so we construct the future based off of what we have already experienced and what we already know. So think about when you were imagining your wedding, if you have been married or if you are currently married, imagining your future wedding. You probably imagine the white dress and the tuxedos and people sitting in their seats. Uh, you imagine either being in a church or a beach or a courthouse or some other location. And you imagined all of this and you constructed all of this future event based off of weddings you had been to in the past or a wedding you've seen in, on TV or in a movie. It's all constructed from your memories. 
Or think about if you're going in for a job interview. You can imagine what you'll wear, what the interviewer's wearing, the, the room you might be in, the questions you might be asked, and the answers you might give. All of this develops from these past experiences, these past job interviews you've been to. And what's even more interesting is when what researchers have found is that amnesia patients not only have a hard time remembering the past, but they also have a hard time imagining the future. Because they're imagining, our imagining the future often is constructed from the things that we know, from the experiences that we have had. But of course, the future is not always predictable, right? It, it's easier for us to imagine the future the closer it is to us in time, and the further out we imagine the future, the more difficult it becomes to sort of fill in those details. So the futurist and game designer John, Jane McGonagall has an experiment that helps to demonstrate this. She did this in a TED Talk that she gave. that demonstrates how it's easy for us to fill in the blanks for a future that's closer to us in the present moment than it is for us to imagine the future further out. So we're going to try that experiment here this morning. Don't worry, it's easy. You don't have to move seats or anything like that. Stay right where you are. So I'm going to give you 30 seconds. I'll keep the time for you. And I want you to imagine waking up tomorrow. And I want you to imagine it as vividly as you possibly can. Uh, are you, is it still dark out? Is it daylight out? Are you waking up by an alarm clock? Is somebody waking you up? Try to imagine that as, with as much detail as you possibly can. Waking up tomorrow. 30 seconds and go. and time. So you have imagined a highly probable future. You could probably imagine your, where you're waking up. You're probably in your house. Either you're in your bed or on the couch, depending if you gave your spouse those grouch pills the night before. Um, you can maybe smell the coffee as it's brewing in the kitchen. You are imagining something highly probable, something that will likely happen tomorrow. But this gets more difficult as we move further out in time. So I'm going to give you another 30 seconds to imagine waking up a year from now. But I want you to, to, again, try to imagine it in as vivid of detail as you possibly can. Are you, where are you waking up? Have, what circumstances have changed in your life? Don't make it, try, try to make it as realistic as you possibly can. 30 seconds to imagine waking up a year from now. And ready, set, go. All right. Now that gets increasingly more difficult, right? How, was that a little more difficult than imagining waking up tomorrow morning? You're moving further out in time, right? It takes a little more energy. Now, 
One last time, I promise you I'm going somewhere with all of this. This is not just for my own entertainment. Um, I want you to imagine waking up 10 years from now. Um, don't make this a fantasy. Don't make this like something that has no grounding in your actual life. Try to make this as realistic as you possibly can. Um, it might be easier for you. There's pens in the Hurax you can write on the bulletin. It's easier sometimes to write down the details and simply to imagine them. But imagine yourself waking up 10 years from now. Uh, try to make it, if things change in your life, what new possibilities are there for you? 30 more seconds. This is the last part of this experiment. Go. All right. Now, what was that one like, that 10 years in the future? Some grimacing faces. <laughs> not, not easy, right? Uh, there's a reason for that, right? We are, uh, we've never been 10 years from where we are right now. It's hard to imagine uh, being 10 years in the future. Um, it's hard for me to imagine my kids being 14 and 11, um, a teenager, God help me, um, we have never been 10 years from where we are in this one moment. So what McGonagall says is that our brains intuitively grasp this unknowability. And so we start to construct the future not based off of what we know and what we have experienced, but our brain creates a sort of blank space for us to create new possibilities. And then we get to start filling in the blanks. We get to start imagining what things look like. And here's what's really interesting, is that once we start to imagine this future, we, it becomes something in our brains that we can go back to again and again. It becomes like one of those memories, those things that we know, and it helps us to construct the future, helps us to walk along the way to create that sort of future. That we literally take that which was previously unknowable to us and make it knowable, make that which was impossible to us and make it a possibility. Uh, psychologists call this episodic future thinking, or EFT. It's literally called mental time travel, where you are traveling to the future and imagining that, and then you can start filling in the blanks with all these different possibilities. That when we imagine such a future, it changes what we do here in the present. Changes what we do. And then we can start doing what McGonagall calls micro-actions, or small little things, short little burst activities that we've never tried before, and it helps us to construct that future. Imagination, episodic future thinking, mental time travel. I think this is exactly what John of Patmos does in his oh-so-favorite book of everybody in this room, the book of Revelation. At the end of his book, he casts a vision for us, and I think it's one of the most stunning visions anywhere in the Bible. The vision of the new Jerusalem coming down from heaven and God's home being with us. I want you to take special notice of that at the end of Revelation, the favorite of all the weirdos in church history. That at the end of Revelation, the goal of all human beings is not living in some ethereal plane, but it is God's home being here with us. And all things are made new and suffering and crying and pain are no more. 
what John has done for us is he has imagined the future. He has imagined a future that does not yet exist, a future that looks very different from the present reality in which he writes. A world where suffering and pain and crying are no more and God's home is with us. Who could even begin to imagine such a world? But in imagining for us, it for us and drawing us into it, it then becomes something that we can draw from again and again as we make our way into the future. That we can then start to take small little micro-actions that lead us to that future. That every time we care for those who are hurting or in need, it is us imagining the world where there is suffering and crying and pain are no more. That every time we, we gather at the communion table, it's a small little micro-action, a possibility of the world made new and the, the things that divide us being gone. That every time we, we seek justice and peace in the world, we are imagining God's home being with us. This act of imagination helps us to construct the future as we walk into it. And when we talk about stewardship this question of what is mine to give, we often talk about it in regards to what resources do I have? What financial resources are mine that I have to give? And, and in recent years, most pastors, myself included, have also included time and talents in their conversation around stewardship. But what I've never heard in a stewardship season is a conversation around a stewardship of imagination. And to me, that is an unfortunate thing. That is the most sacred gift, I think, that God has given to us, this ability to imagine and construct our futures, that we should, we should never neglect our imaginations. This is where God speaks to John of Patmos. This is where God continues to speak to each and every one of us through our imaginations. Ignatius of Loyola, the founder of the Jesuit order, he was insistent that his followers pray through their imaginations to imagine God or Christ speaking to them. It's still a spiritual practice today. It's called Ignatian imaginative prayer. And I've done it a few times, and it is one of the most meaningful experiences. If you've been on the men's retreat, I think Terry has done that as well. Ignatian imaginative prayer, imagining the future. And for me, the question in this stewardship season is are we being faithful stewards of our imaginations? Are we imagining the future that God is leading us into? And sometimes that future might be an act of nostalgia, constructing it based off of the things that we have known, that we have experienced. But then other times, that imagining of the future might feel a little bit like being in a flying DeLorean, where Marty McFly says, you're going to run out of road, Doc. And Doc says, where we're going, we don't need roads. That the future we might be going into is not constructed based off of what we have known, but based off of what we have imagined, based off of what could be possible. And so here's what I want us to do this morning. We're, did you all, who hasn't gotten their leaves yet? You can raise your hand, it's okay. I won't know otherwise. <laughs> So here's the question for this morning. Sandy, if you want to bring that question up. So I want you to imagine the future here this morning um, and take a risk. You might want to imagine just a year from now. You might want to imagine six months from now. That would be the easier thing to do. But I want you to take a risk. We did this during our Visioning Summit as well, imagining the further out future. Imagine Greenfield 10, 15 years from now. What is your greatest hope for Greenfield? What is your greatest hope for the future of Greenfield? 
We're constructing our tree together. Does everyone else have, everyone have their leaf? Okay. We're constructing the future together. And so as you think about and imagine that future, we get to put it onto this tree together. It becomes a legacy that helps us to grow and move into that future. So take some time. Imagine Greenfield not just a year from now or two years from now, but five, 10, 15 years from now. What is your greatest hope for the future of this congregation?